So we're going to continue in our study of 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to talk about the good news. That was my point last week, that the gospel, the word gospel that we are so familiar with, actually means good news. Um, I sent out a video, um, we sent out a video kind of just reviewing a little bit of what we talked about last week for those that may not have been able to be here. And uh, Kathy was listening to it, and she said, you said it's equal to the news. I, don't, I disagree with that. It's better than the news. And so I, I stand corrected, as often by my wonderful wife. She has wonderful insight. But the news that we have is like information that we read in the newspaper. That's what I was trying to say last week. We too often think of the gospel as just kind of church messages or a way that you, you know, start your relationship with God. And, and those things are true in a sense, but the gospel is about an event that changed the world. And that's what Paul is trying to say in 1 Corinthians 15. Now we're going to explore that um, in more detail. So before we do that, would you just... Again, pause and ask the Lord to show you something from his word. Would you just ask him to teach you this morning as we spend time in 1 Corinthians 15? Father, thank you for the fact that you've given us your word. And we thank you for this passage that shows us in amazing ways how simple and yet how powerful the gospel is. So Lord, I just ask that as we study it again, uh, that you would teach us from your word and apply it to our hearts in fresh and new ways, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the questions that we've got to ask is, what makes this news good? Uh, As Brian has told you frequently, uh, my wife Kathy is a Cubs fan, and so anytime the Cubs win, that is good news for her. But obviously, if you were a fan of the team the Cubs were playing that day, that would not be good news for you. So this good news, who is it good for and why? We need to explore that. So let's go back to the passage. Remember, we've said the gospel means good news. Obviously, didn't put that... Slide up on time. Um, So let's go back to what Paul says. He says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Note that. This is what Paul received. It's not something he made up. It's not something he created. He's passing on to us the gospel that existed, that, that this event happened. So he says, I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And we talked about last week how that according to the scriptures is really important because it has to do with God's plan, what God is doing to fix things in his broken world. And what he says then is, and he appeared, that's Jesus, the Christ, he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So how do we know this event happened? It was witness. 
So often in a court of law, you will have call witnesses. And if they're eyewitnesses, if they saw something happen, they can then be questioned. And of course, I'm sure that there has been a case where someone lied in court. But in this case, all of these people who saw the risen Christ are saying the same thing. Some cases, John even talked about touching him. So we have reliable witnesses, because so many are saying it, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then the last thing that Paul says in this section, he says, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. There's a lot of humility in this as Paul talks about the fact that he is sad that he was one of those that actually went after Christians. He went after them because he felt that this was not true and he persecuted them. But all of this, again, reminds us of these things, that these are actual events that happened. They're people who saw this that live on our planet, (laughs) that lived on our planet. It was widely witnessed, and it fulfilled the scriptures. It fulfilled God's promises. I don't know if you're like me. I don't think we consciously think this way, but I think sometimes we subtly think of the Bible as having moral stories in it and not telling us about actual events. You know, that's interesting. Every once in a while I get an email that talks about another archaeological find that, that proves that the things that are described in the Old Testament actually happened. Like, what, a, what an amazing thought. And so the gospel is about actual events. It was widely witnessed, and it fulfills the scriptures. It's a part of God's long story. Remember the word Christ that Paul uses here is the Greek word that in the Hebrew would be Messiah. So this long-promised Messiah has done the work that God intended, and this is all taking place. So what I'm intrigued about is how does this then work in our lives? So look at how Paul continues. So Paul says, I was the least of the apostles, but then he says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove in vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whatever this gospel is, it has enabled this transformation in Paul so that it goes from being against this message, against Christians, into being for this, and he works by God's grace. You know, grace is, again, one of those words like gospel that's really, really familiar, and oftentimes we, we limit grace to being forgiven. You know, for by grace are you saved. We, we think of it simply as about God's love applied to our sin. But here you see it has nothing to do with sin. It's God enabling grace, enabling Paul to minister, to work, to accomplish things. And then notice how Paul says it, I labored, but not I, grace labored. You know, so when you do things in the spirit, when you do things relying on God, it's not just you working. You do something, yeah, you, you open your mouth, but maybe sometimes the words that come out are God-powered. You know, you, you actually start to do something, and God's grace works in you. And so grace isn't just about sin, it's also about service, it's about work, it's about 
doing good things. And that's just this picture. But what brings this about? What, what happens to bring this about? So then we look at what Paul says. He concludes this little section with this. Whether then it was I, like as an apostle, or they, so anybody else that proclaimed this message, so we preach and so you believed. Now that word preach, remember I said last week that, that Paul says the gospel that I preached and I said that in Greek it's the same root word as gospel. In that first verse that he, where he says it, so he's saying I gospel, the gospel I gospeled you with. It's like it's, it's evangelized you. It's like I announced to you. So it's like a news broadcaster. I'm announcing news. Well, this word preached is different. But it still means a public proclamation. And too often we think of preaching as doing what I'm doing now, like speaking in a church context. But in their context, there was this public announcement of it and so as they talked about this and proclaimed it people then believed so here's the question what does it mean to believe in these events because i believe george washington was the first president of the united states but that hasn't changed my life i mean i believe those events happened so what is it about these events that are transformative for us. What does it mean to believe? They obviously believed, and you see Paul believed, and it changed his life. So what's going on here? Well, I think it's interesting for us to get a slightly different perspective. So what I want to do is show you two passages where people are talking about what Christians are saying, but they're not Christians themselves. So here's the first one. Remember how Paul got um, imprisoned in Jerusalem. There was this uproar, and so the, the, they went and they grabbed him, and they had him in jail, and then they found out they were going to try to kill him, so they moved him to Caesarea, and that's where the, gov- the Roman official, the Roman governor was. And he was there for a couple, a couple of years. So he started under Felix, and then Felix left, and Festus took over. But here was the problem Festus had. He was a prisoner that had been handed to him, like he didn't really know much about it, and Paul had appealed to Rome, so Festus, as the governor, had to write this decree against Paul, like to explain, why are we sending you? Like, he, he was in the bad spot, because I've got to send to Caesar, why are we even sending him? And I don't even know why we're sending him to him. So, so he talks to King Agrippa, who was visiting, and say, I want your help. Okay? You got the picture? Festus has to write this thing to Rome about Paul, because he's sending him. He doesn't really know what's going on. And so he wants to explain to Agrippa. And so this is, what, this is what Festus says to Agrippa about why Paul has this argument with the Jewish leaders. He says, but they simply had some points of disagreement about him, with him, about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. So it's clear that as they talked about the good news, the resurrection of Jesus was central. They kept saying Jesus is alive. Okay, here's the other one that I find fascinating. This is earlier in Acts. Now, this, this story takes place in Thessalonica. And there, Paul and a group have ministered, and people are becoming believers. They, they, there are Jewish people who are becoming believers. There are Gentiles who are becoming believers. And the Jewish synagogue in that particular city, the leaders were upset about it. They were angry about it, and they wanted to deal with it. So they go to Jason's house, who was housing Paul, but they can't get a hold of Paul. So they grab Jason, 
They take him to the city authorities, and this is what they say. When they did not find them, that's Paul and his group, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city, shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. So, the people who are not believers say the Christians are saying there is another king, not Caesar, Jesus. So there's two points here. First, Jesus is risen. And the second is Jesus is king. So do you remember a few years back, there was this um, debate among Christians about something called lordship salvation. Do you remember that? And there was disagreement because some said, unless you said Jesus is Lord of your life when you prayed, like I'm going to make you Lord of my life, then you really weren't a Christian. And others said, no, no, we're just saved by God's grace and we're forgiven and that's all. We just trust the forgiveness. We have we, we, make, we don't have to have this kind of lordship idea. Okay, let's take a look at what Paul says in Romans 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So in that lordship salvation debate, what they were saying is, you have to say, Jesus, you are going to be my personal Lord and I will follow you. But think about, think about what we just looked at. I think that both of those miss the point. Because it's not about saying Jesus is my personal guru who I am going to obey. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying is Jesus is now king. Remember what he says at the end of Matthew as he's talking to his disciples as the risen Savior, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So if you have all authority in heaven and on earth, what does that leave out? Nothing, right? So that means Jesus is Lord not just of me as a person, of everything. So how do you respond to that? How do you believe that? Let me give you a story from history that may help you. I'm not, an, I'm not a Roman historian. may get some details. I looked this up, but I may not get it completely right, so you can write me later and correct me. So Julius Caesar was assassinated. And after he was assassinated, there was a power struggle. His heir, Octavius, wanted control. But Mark Anthony and Cleopatra had started an alliance and they wanted control too. So there was a battle. And over time, they went back and forth, but eventually Octavius won. And so it was proclaimed that Octavius was the victor. He's now Caesar. Well, that would have been good news if you were fighting for Octavius, right? Like, all right, we win, woo! Herod, 
the one from the Bible in Luke 2, you know, that Herod that the wise men went to, he backed the wrong guys. He backed Mark Anthony and he and Cleopatra. He had supported them. So now you're a ruler over a region. There is a new guy in charge, not the one you backed. What do you do? Herod's not stupid. He immediately gets, gets to Octavius and says all kinds of right things that say, now you are the rightful ruler and manages to hang on to his authority. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we are saying, Jesus, you are king. And we are organizing our life under the fact that there is someone in charge. Yes, there are authorities on the human level. Paul writes about you know, submitting to them as appropriate. But we recognize and we organize our life much like Herod did. Like, hey, this is the guy in charge and I'm going to serve and connect to him. We are trusting that Jesus is ruling now. So there's a lot more that comes from that. And it has to do with how God is working. We're going to see that as we continue in the study. But this is where I want you to... Remember how last week I said, anytime you hear the news this week, I want you to think about the fact that you have good news, you have information about events that have happened that have changed the world. This is what I want you to think this week. Anytime you see any politician, anytime you see any authority, any place in the world, I want you to think in your mind, Jesus is king. We can get all worried and bent out of shape, and we can get concerned. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pay attention to those things and do things that are appropriate, but we can't forget that Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. When we confess Jesus as Lord, we are recognizing that he has won the victory and that our lives are wrapped up in him and his victory. And when we trust that, it changes everything. Now, there's more that's going to flow from this, but I just want you to think about this, that this is not just saying, Jesus, I want to follow you personally. This is saying, Jesus, you are winning the victory, and I'm on your side. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have won and that, Jesus, you are in the process of having of working out all of the details of the victory that you've won. This passage tells us that you are going to defeat every enemy. And we know that in the cross you have dealt with all of the things, all of the things that are broken, so that we could be restored. And Lord, we know that you are one day going to make everything work out. And we are excited and joyful about that. But in the meantime, Lord, as we live in this life, Help us to look and keep our eyes on the things above so that we will trust you in the midst of what we go through. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.